Recently, Total Wireless helped Charlie Michelle stage a virtual dance recital for her friends and family. This event was super meaningful to them. Because when you move to Total Wireless, you can get amazing devices on nationwide 5G. And with unlimited plans starting at $25 a month, you could save up to $1,200 a year. Thank you, Total Wireless, for helping me pull this off. Total Wireless. Do amazing. Compatible 5G device required. 5G network in limited areas. Month equals 30 days. Savings claim made when compared to four-line postpaid plans of leading carriers 10-2020. See terms and conditions at TotalWireless.com. Here's to getting back together. To planned lunches and unplanned cookouts to grandma's recipes and smells that take us back, to passing down plates and traditions. Here's to warm embraces and familiar faces, to your best friends becoming best friends, to scheming, dreaming, and food still steaming. Here's to laughter and love, to growing closer than ever. For all of life's get-togethers, Chinette, here's to us. Hey everybody, it's Sam from Pro Wrestling Overtime, and I absolutely cannot believe it's August the 9th, and I haven't recorded GCW's Homecoming Part 2 that happened on July 25th. I'm bad, and you guys really should be jamming my email box and saying, what is going on with you? Um, at least I've been putting out other episodes, but I needed to get focused, get this done. I love GCW, love it, love promoting it, love, um, you know, talking about the good, bad, and ugly, and knowing that Brett Lauderdale doesn't care. He wants to hear it. So, I mean, let's get started. Uh, This is the second day of GCW's homecoming. I can honestly tell you that after watching what was part one, and then watching part two I really wish I would have put this on my calendar and I really think it needs to be on my calendar next year I'm gonna assume they're probably gonna hold it in the same place I've never been to Atlantic City and I I think I need to go because this looked like so much Fun. Fun in the crowd. Fun with the matches. Um, I don't know. I I think this is something I need to go to. But we got Jordan Oliver versus Jack Cartwell. I, <clears throat> excuse me. I feel like I've talked about Jordan Oliver enough. You guys know he's one of my favorites, especially of MLW. I have loved watching him mature. And there's no other way to put it. Him quit being obnoxious and doing the hee-hee-hee-hee all the time and being 170 pounds. It's like he had a wake-up call during the pandemic when MLW and the Indies weren't 
you know, taping or having shows. And he put on 50 pounds of muscle. He got his cardio better. And he's just acting better. His promos are a lot better. But from everyone I've heard and from seeing him at WrestleMania week at GCW and a lot of other shows, he was one of the most active wrestlers that whole entire week. But he has a new confidence about him. He, when you ask him a question, I mean, he really kind of looks at you to see whether you're joking or not. And if you're joking, he'll fall into the old Jordan Oliver of, you know, giving you a stupid answer. But I think through his maturity process, even though it may be a question that he's heard, you know, 50,000 times, if he sees you're serious and that you want to really know about him, you want to get to know him, you, you're excited. He wants to give you, you know, your answer to make your day. He is kind of crossed over to that. And, and I really, I really like that. And I think I've told you guys that many times before. But Jack Cartwheel was the one actually in this match that sold me. I'd seen him in numerous matches. I've talked about him before. He's a little bit short for a wrestler, but he's so stocky. Um, His legs look like tree trunks. And he does more than cartwheels, as some of you wrote in the last time I talked about him. But he... Gave it his all. It was like he realized this is a big stage. I'm on it with Jordan Oliver. And I really have a chance here. To show some people. Who I am and what I'm about. They had set the match up where Jordan Oliver. Basically spent the first couple minutes of the match. Totally taking away Jack Cartwheel's legs through kicks you know um, he was in the air at one point and Oliver hit him with a chop um, making him pay on the outside and then Cartwheel uh, you know always makes a comeback his comeback was so fast. And I really wasn't expecting that from him. I don't know that I have seen his comeback be this fast. And I'm not talking in minutes. That his they didn't let him have enough time for a comeback. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the speed at which he was performing maneuvers holds, 
actions. At one point, they ended up outside the ring, and they fought through the back. Uh, we got to see some of the wrestlers at their merch tables, and it that you know, of course, was interesting. And then Jordan Oliver basically then took over again. If you haven't, I would say the last two years, been watching Jordan Oliver, then you probably don't know what he has been doing is trying to perfect different, I wouldn't say simple, but a lot of them are maneuvers that as fans we consider simple because we see them all the time. And if you're watching some of the bigger promotions, it's real easy to forget that sometimes you're talking about a 10, 12, 15, 20-year veteran. Of course, it looks simple. But, you know, I, I'm trying to think, and I think it was about two years ago, he started on the cutter. And that is when I started really paying attention to Jordan Oliver. It didn't matter whether it was the Indies. It didn't matter whether it was MLW. He did the cutter. And sometimes he would do it two or three times in a match. He was trying to perfect that and be able to do it different ways from different positions uh, with the, the other wrestler being at different places or different positions. And you could see he kind of became really comfortable with it. Right before the pandemic, it was like he said, I've learned this. And he started on the Boston Crab. Both legs, single leg. And then the pandemic hit. It's my understanding. He continued studying. He continued working on different moves and stuff. But when he came back, which was summer, I think, of last year, he was still wanting to see about Boston Crab. So you saw him doing that every match, trying it, people having counters to it, him trying to reverse the counter and and all that. Then the beginning part of this year, he kind of switched to a single leg Boston Crab where wasn't always the same leg, wasn't always performed the same exact way. And then he got comfortable with that. And it was almost like you could see the confidence. I have this move down. I can't tell you what month. I want to say March. I know in April, WrestleMania week... Because he wrestled so many matches. 
if you watched any of them, you saw the cutter, you saw the Boston Crab, but you also saw his new move that he's working on, which is the figure four leg lock. And he, I don't want to say he looked bad. He looked a little inexperienced. Um, especially, I think when he did their right leg. Because I think when he did their left leg and put it on the left side, he was more comfortable. Whereas when he would flip it, you could see he wasn't comfortable. He didn't, he had to think too much. Watching him July 25th at homecoming, put that on Jake Carroll, um, made so much sense because he had worked on his legs earlier. Cartwell had did his comeback and then Jordan Oliver had taken back over and he had continued with the legs. So the figure four leg lock made perfect sense. And of course, Jack ended up tapping out so that Jordan would win. But the story they told in the ring made sense. And Oliver working on a new maneuver made sense. So I he's gotten so much better at it. It looked natural. And I look very, very soon. He will be switching to some other maneuver. Then we got what some said was the best wrestling match of the night. And I I understand what they mean, and I probably agree. But when I go to these independent shows, and they have several different kinds of matches, I don't always agree with, this is the best lucha match of the night. This is the best wrestling match of the night. This is the best death match of the night. This is... I, I don't like separating them and like making differences it's wrestling and on this night having Jonathan Gresham come back to GCW was a big deal in and of itself Um, I was excited to see him but I was even more excited to see him take on Starboy Charlie. Now, Starboy Charlie's 18 years old. He wrestled last year with his parents' permission. And I believe that they almost had to be there at every match. Uh, in order for him to be allowed to wrestle. This year, of course, he's 18. He is going to be unbelievable. When you take in account that you're seeing an 18-year-old that will probably at least have one more growth spurt 
and that he needs to pump some iron. You're really seeing the start of him. I don't know that he'll always be Star Boy Charlie. So get on the bandwagon when you see that name and make an effort to see him. When he stood against Jonathan Gresham, Jonathan Gresham was twice as big as him as far as muscle mass. And that's how I know that Starboy Charlie at 18 will be working on that. I don't think he should be looking at like Jonathan Gresham at 18. But I know he soon will. He's about two, three inches maybe shorter than Gresham. That's why I said I hope he's got at least one more growth spurt. I would like to see him grow about two more inches. He's probably two or three inches taller than Marco Stunt, and everybody considers him like a midget. I don't think the way Starboy Charlie performs that you can consider him a midget. He will go up on the ropes and fly. He has that in him. He performs uh, flippity-flop maneuvers pretty well, but that's not really his style. And that's the reason why I'm saying, go out, see him live. Pay for a pay-per-view. Write me and and figure out how we can do pay-per-views. You guys need to see him at 18 years old so that when he's in a big promotion at 25, you can say, I saw the start of his career. That's how big he's going to be. He took it to... Jonathan Gresham. Jonathan Gresham sold so well during this match. It was absolutely awesome. There were times that Starboard Charlie probably didn't do the maneuver quite correctly. And in other pay-per-views, I've seen them no-sell it. Or halfway sell it. No. Gresham knew what he was going to be doing. And he sold it. He sold it as he was kicking. Or as he was hitting. Or whatever. And it looked like Starboy Charlie had hit him. And he sold it once he was on the ground. Starboy Charlie of course is a quick fast Maneuver through the ring. He sped Gresham up. They kept making a point that Gresham likes to be slow, calculated, methodical. And even though I feel like Starboy Charlie is getting methodical and probably will be at 25 or, you know, later. 
right now he knows that his speed, his pacing, gets to a lot of the veterans. Um, but at one point, he tried to do too much, which is typical of, you know, a young, inexperienced wrestler, and Gresham caught him, and it totally made sense in the story they were telling that Gresham decided to teach him what pain felt like, what being tied in knots um, and Starboy Charlie really didn't have a counter maneuver quickly for that. And I, and when I say Jonathan Gresham tied him in knots, it really was in knots as far as his arms interlaced and pulled towards his back and then dropping him to the ground and doing basically the same thing with his legs. And that's the part that I'm looking forward to. As Charlie gets older, I think we're going to see that side of him. I think he'll start learning some submission maneuvers. He ended up getting himself rolled over and getting... Gresham to loosen his grip where he could get out of it. Then they proceeded, Gresham, I think, wanted to take advantage of his power. They did chops back and forth probably about four or five times. And then they did punches. Some European uppercuts, too. It was so good they stood toe to toe and one of the camera angles you pretty much saw that Gresham's expression changed and that he was gaining confidence with him and that it, it was like, almost like he was proud of him of course Gresham took over won the match but he put over Starboy Charlie to all of the fans and like I said it was so good um, somebody mentioned Starboy Charlie in you know, in another match, and I was like, you have to go see the Gresham match that they did at Homecoming, because, you know, it, it just is unreal. Then we got to see Dante Leon Ninja Mike versus the Second Gear crew, which is Mance Warner, who I'm sure you've seen somewhere at some promotion before, and Matthew Justice. This match, in the beginning, I thought it was really entertaining. Mance Warner and Matthew Justice put on a really good show for the crowd. 
they take their opponents to the crowd. They have the crowd holding chairs for them. They make them get up and they use the chairs. They use tables. You know your end up going to have basically a bad day. Dante Leon got to perform eh, maybe one, two of his signature maneuvers. Uh, The second one, I believe it was Mance Warner, caught him and slammed him on the concrete outside. We didn't see much of him after that. But Ninja Mike, he is always per, uh, progressive and he is always willing to take over a match. I can't say enough good things about Ninja Mike. I don't know why he's not signed. Uh, he tells very good stories. He obviously caught second gear crew with a lot of his maneuvers, shocked him some. And they pulled their normal tricks. But it was when they started pulling some of their normal tricks that even the announcers noticed and said something. Because usually the announcers notice and they kind of hint around about it. No, they flat out said something. Um, It was, if I didn't know better, I'll put it that way. I would have said that Mance Warner and Matthew Justice both had been drinking possibly a lot. (laughs) And I don't believe in that. Before a match, you can really have someone get hurt. And... I felt like they were extremely stiff with Ninja Mike. And when hitting him, they weren't pulling anything. They knew that Ninja Mike was in some pain. And they weren't selling anything for him. It was almost like they were no-selling And it made me start to think, was Ninja Mike ran into them before and did something to them? And then I recalled, you know, them dumping Dante Leon on the concrete floor pretty hard. And I started waiting for Dante Leon basically to come save him. And to start their comeback. Um, it didn't happen. From what I understand. Because they didn't show a lot of it. But from what I understand. I, I saw Ninja Mike. He was on the top rope. On the ring post. And he was nailed with a kick. 
I think the kit came last. I think he was nailed with a chair and then... But I think that it was a chair, then a kick. But it may have been a kick, then a chair. Um, Ninja Mike, to me, it appeared was knocked completely unconscious. Slumped or... And completely fell from the ring post to the floor. And like I said earlier, floor concrete. I mean, it's for real just total concrete. And a lot of people, I was I was talking on Twitter afterwards, I was posting, and I was talking back and forth to some people that had watched it, and some people that were there. Um, why I think he was knocked unconscious, guys, um, as a human being, you can't help but Brace yourself when you're being hit like that. But some veterans and some wrestlers can fake it, I guess, and not brace themselves. However, when you're going from the ring post to the floor, you do have a tendency to either brace or hit and roll, or do something to protect yourself. I think he was unconscious because his body was totally relaxed, even when he hit the floor, and the thump, you heard his head hit the floor, was not natural. I expected Dante Leon then to get in the ring. From the people who were actually there in the audience, I guess he had seen and had enough. And he went to the locker rooms. Medical staff, of course, were taking care of Ninja Mike and they were trying not to film in that corner and it was seconds later that you saw 440H come out. And so I'm wondering if Dante, Dante Leon knew that they were getting ready to come out or someone in the back sent them out or I don't know. But we got to see Addison Kogor and Ricky Shane Page come out and serve notice, I guess, more to Second Gear crew. They never gave an update, though, on Ninja Mike. And the people I was talking to that were actually there, because remember, this one won at like five. I think Eastern Standard Time 
which would have been two on the West Coast. Um, and you weren't hearing updates. You know, I'm talking to people at nine, ten o'clock on the East Coast, and they weren't giving any updates. So that became a little worrisome. And even though I knew Mance Warner and Matthew Justice drank sometimes before matches, this is the match where I thought, are they drinking too much? They're no-selling stuff. They're hitting people uh, where they can hurt them. So, uh, I don't know what's going to happen here. I haven't watched the GCW that happened on Saturday night, two nights ago. Um, Signal in the Hills that was in Los Angeles. I may watch it tonight or tomorrow. Whether I'll do an episode on it, I don't know. But what I'm looking four is number one is Ninja Mike there two does second gear crew get their titles taken away and I can almost bet you guys they do because I think Brett Lauderdale will draw a line in the sand and be like you guys messed up and we're taking the titles so, um, I think they're supposed to take on 4-4-O-H at No Signal in the Heels. So, it would not surprise me if they're not the tag team title belts holders. So, I need to get on that and check it. Next up, you had Cesar Bononi. And Chris Dickinson. First of all, I said it at the time. I wrote him privately also. But I'm also going to say it to all of you guys. Um, Chris Dickinson lost his grandmother. He didn't want to come to homecoming. However, he knew how important it was. His mother actually talked him into it. And they, the whole entire family had been together. And his mom said, please go to this. This, this is homecoming for GCW. They're expecting you there. And your grandmother would want you there. She said, we are buying it. And everyone in the family will be watching. Chris Dickinson came out like a madman. And you could tell, number one, he was trying to control his emotions of sadness. Which he explained after the match. But he was also trying to turn it into... Anger or power or intensity. 
He was going up against Cesar Bononi, who is called the one of the wingmen on AEW. He has had numerous issues since moving to the United States with visas. His wife has been in the hospital, had medical issues, had visa problems, had insurance problems, had everything and anything. Tony Khan took care of this. But he doesn't wrestle an extreme lot on AEW, and he is on Tier 0, which is per appearance fee. He hasn't made it to Tier 1, where you become All Elite. So, he was really excited to come to Homecoming, GCW, it was his debut, and... GCW made a kind of big mistake. They thought that Bononi would be an awesome babyface to Dickinson. Problem was, GCW a Myers people who started in GCW and make it and come back like homecoming you know so they were all about you know Jonathan Gresham um, later on they will be all about Penelope Ford and Alley Cat and Shane Mercer uh, but Bononi didn't start here. He didn't start on any of the United States Indies. He started at AAW. And the GCW crowd uh, doesn't really like that. They feel like he hasn't paid his dues. So as they were announcing Bononi, who looked powerful, um, maybe look better than I've seen him. I don't watch a lot of AEW Dark or Elevation. I'll just be real honest with you. But I felt like he looked very confident. However, again, after the show, talking to people who had been at the show, they felt like he came off cocky, that... He came off better than GCW, that he thought he was going to walk in and just beat up on Dickinson. <coughs> Excuse me. Of course, the GCW crowd knew that wasn't happening. They had all been on social media before the show started, had saw Chris Dickinson's grandmother had passed away the day before. There were rumors flying all through the audience whether he would even show up. When he comes out, humongous cheers. Um, and he's a hill. His nickname is Dirty Daddy. Um, yeah, he 
is one of the dirtier players in the game right now. He is on New Japan Strong. He's on um, uh, Ring of Honor with Brody King. And so him being at GCW, which a lot of times he is. Um, he's been on Bloodsport, Josh Barnett's Bloodsport twice. But you could tell a different Chris Dickinson was there. They told an excellent story. Benoni was in control a lot of the match. And the crowd didn't like it. The crowd made their feelings known. Todd turned. Chris Dickinson got up on the ring post and flew. He usually doesn't. He usually, he's a big boy, and uh, he just usually doesn't do high-flying maneuvers. But when he went from the top of the ring post to the floor, because Benoni was in the floor, You saw the crowd explode. And, of course, he threw him back into the ring, did a couple maneuvers. He ended up winning the match. But I think the story of this match was Chris Dickinson's speech afterwards. Thanking the crowd, thanking fans, thanking other wrestlers, thanking other promoters for the amount of support he and his family had gotten. He looked directly into the camera and spoke to his mother and thanked her for basically making him come to homecoming. And he said it was something that he would never forget. Um, After his speech, as he was going back to the locker room, and I mean, they were trying to get the next match on. The crowd was overwhelming him, patting him. They wanted to hug him. They wanted to, you know, bump forearms or fists with him. Um, You can see that GCW is a family, even if they're supposed to hate you. They respect what they do. And I have to give big props to Brett Lauderdale for creating that and that's why I I want to mark it down on my calendar yes I, I want to go to at least one or two GCW shows before the year's out but you heard me I want to go to homecoming I mean I think that's a must do I don't care about going to WrestleMania or SummerSlam or, you know, I want to go to Double or Nothing just because it's in Vegas, but, you know, but I don't care about going it all out. Maybe I will next year because AEW is, again, building their family. But I definitely want to go to Homecoming and see GCW's family. I was shocked about the next match. I loved it. Um, I 
I don't even know how to explain it. I never thought this match would be on before intermission. I was excited that it happened. Since I've picked up GCW again, I have found that I enjoy some of the violence that they do as entertainment. Now, do I want one day Nick Gage to cut someone's lower leg off with his pizza cutter? No. Not into it that far. However, Joey Janela and Atticus Cogar, my goodness, they put on a show. And I loved it. I couldn't help it. I, I did. I got into it. I like uh, Addison Cogar. And I think those of you who have listened to my GCW takes before know that. I love him um, pulling out the skewers, sticking them into people's upper arms or their head. And Joey Janela is crazy. They started off chops, punches, um, running the ring ropes, trying to shoulder, shoulder tackle each other. They did a lot of things like that. And then they went to weapons. The thing that I think surprises me, they don't play with kendo sticks. You know, they play with nunchucks, uh, chairs, glass, tables, solid doors, chairs, uh, skewers, darts, uh, syringes. That's what they play with. They built, or I should say, Joey Janela built a three-story masterpiece (laughs) of, one story was table, next story I think was the chair sitting on top of the table, and then glass on um, the setting on the seats of the chairs. Janela thought he was in control. And they got up on the ring ropes and started fighting. And I thought this, this is going to be unbelievable. Actually, I think there were two panes of glass involved. But anyway, we all thought Joey's putting Coger through this. No. Coger turns the tide, puts Janela through it. 
Janela's arm. I don't even know how to explain it. <coughs> he didn't blade. It was done the hard way. He had a pretty deep slice into his arm. Blood gushing out of it. And I thought, my immediate thought was, I think he's cut an artery. His head was gashed open also. And medical personnel stopped it, looked at his arm, and then proceeded to wrap athletic tape straight on it. No gauze. Literally, probably <clears throat> four to five wraps around his arm with athletic tape to, number one, stop the bleeding, number two, to triage it, basically. Now, they wanted to look at his head, and Janelle was like, nah. <coughs> From that moment on, he looked kind of shaky. Especially when he got back in the ring and Kogar attacked, attacked him pretty vigorously, hitting him in the head, opening it up more, and I believe it was the German suplex he did. <clears throat> anyway, Janela ended up on the mat. He didn't go for the covers. He went to his pocket and got the skewers out and drilled them in uh, Joey Janela's head. Which is a little why I um, thought for sure that Joey Janela was a little out of it because in any match I've seen these two be around each other or anything and he hits him with the skewers, Janela pretty much jerks him out immediately for the simple fact that he wants the blood to flow. In this, after about, I don't, I don't know, maybe 15 seconds, he acts like he doesn't even know they're there. Atticus ends up doing another maneuver on him, and some of them come out, and they must have awoken uh, Janela that, oh yeah, there's skewers in my head, I probably need to get those out, and he does end up reaching up and pulling them out. It's at this time Marco Stunt comes in, tells Koger that that's enough, and goes to hit him, and Koger rolls out of the ring and leaves. Yeah. Didn't make any sense to me either. He literally got ran off. By Marco Stunt. 
The Silver to Satan. Kogar was scared of Marco's stunt. What? So yeah, that's the storyline. I did not believe. I wonder though if they changed the ending of the match and everything due to Janela's injuries. But Kogar left and the ref counted him out and Joe Janela won. And then they immediately went to intermission. Then we saw what they were calling, after intermission, the Iron Beast, which was Shane Mercer and KTB against Cole Raddick and Braden Lee. These guys aren't really tag teams. The Iron Beast, yes, Shane Mercer and KTB have wrestled together before. They've wrestled against each other before. They're old veterans. They know all the tricks. Cole Raddick and Braden Lee, I've never seen wrestled or even heard of them being a tag team. And that was obvious. They didn't know tag team stuff. I enjoy Cole Raddick and Braden Lee and watching them learn. I believe one of them is 20 and the other's 22 or something like that. They're very young. Um, and they're a little inexperienced, but having Shane Mercer and KTB in there really helped. The older veterans really sold for these two young guys and let them do and get in all of their flips, all of their high spot moves, and get the crowd back into action. Not worrying, you know, about Ninja Mike or Joey Janela or anything like that. There were some botches. Um, that were very extremely noticeable, and it wasn't due to the camera angle. I think any angle you would have saw it, you knew it was a botch. There were a lot of unbelievable moments. I don't mean that in a good way. I mean moments where you're like, that can't happen. What are they doing? You know, you're you're doing that kind of stuff. So, it, it was hard to get into this match. Braden Lee and Cole Raddick teaming together. I know they're both clean-cut baby faces. Maybe in two years they, they'll have it. They just didn't understand tag team wrestling, tactics, psychology... Um, they were basically individuals trying to beat a tag team on their own. Of course, that never works. Iron Beast, Shane Mercer, and KTB ended up winning. Then we got to see Ruckus. I'd never heard of him, never seen. If I have, don't remember him. Uh, probably won't remember him. Best thing about him 
was, I guess, the music he played for his entrance because the crowd really got into it and was dancing. He was taking one Calvin Tankman. You know, he's 23 or 24, 355 pounds, athletic as all get out. MLW is just shooting him to the moon. Ruckus, obviously, veteran that was coming back for homecoming, member of the Blackout. I think they they called them the Blackout Gang or the Blackout Squad or something like that. If you remember them, then then you, you know what I'm talking about. This match basically was a squash. It was boring, and it lasted... I guess three to five minutes. Ruckus and his old blackout partner got into the ring and they offered a blackout shirt to Calvin Tankman. Tankman was very respectful. They kept trying to get him to put it on. And I was looking at the shirt as he was holding it and I was like, because he's not putting that on. Because he can't get it on. And if he tries, he's going to rip it. They should have got him like a 4XL. And it looked like they handed him a medium. I don't know that his head could have fit through it or one of his arms. I really don't. So uh, that was a show of respect maneuver. Then they announced that the GCW heavyweight champion of the world fulfilled his promise. He said that he was going to come to GCW, beat Nick Gage, win the belt, and go take the belt to Disneyland. And Universal. Well, the announcer informed the crowd that he did exactly that. That he left early this morning to fly to California in order to take the belt to see Disneyland. If you guys haven't seen the pictures, they're on Matt Cardona's page, his Instagram page. Um, I think he put one or two up maybe on Twitter. Um, they, and when I say they, his fiance Chelsea Green, uh, took the belt all over the place, uh, he held it up, they snapped pictures and everything, and of course everyone's going wild. The announcer then says that Mark Sterling who is Matt Cardona's lawyer, will be coming to speak to the crowd on behalf of Matt Cardona later in the show. And, of course, they boot that. For you guys that don't know Mark Sterling, you really do. Come on. 
Number one, he's on the Major Figures podcast with Brian Myers and Matt Cardin. But two, if you watch AEW, he's the manager, lawyer, advisor, whatever, to Jade Cargill. And he is a real attorney. He also played the lawyer attorney for MJF when he was taking on John Moxley. So he's been, he is a wrestler, he is a lawyer, and he, you know, has been around for quite a while. So a lot of you have probably seen him. But they, of course, tell us that he's not ready to come out and that we're going to get to see Allie Ketch, who is Allie Cat. She changed her name. She felt Allie Cat and her cat gimmick was too babyface. She doesn't want to be a total babyface anymore. And she has been studying catch wrestling uh, for the last year. So now she is Allie Catch. Only she spelled it with a K. Coming home for homecoming was Penelope Ford. And at one point, everybody was like, where's Skip Sabian? Um, at one point, you see... Uh, Ford's merch table and Kip Sabian he's injured at this time and you can see that he's injured uh, is sitting behind her merch table taking money and selling her merch for her which I thought was extremely interesting Allie Ketch starts this match off fast and hard and she goes right after Ford. Ford just takes her takes it over. Um she's trying to show how in GCW her character was always better than and classier than anyone else. Coming home, she tried to prove that even more and that she was a big superstar. Effie had came out. Effie and Allie Catch are a group now? Uh, tag team partners sometimes? I don't know. They come out to the ring with each other. So Effie interfered and Ford waylaid him and did, you know, the hand movement of, I'm done with you. Um, but when she turned around, they did a great back and forth from chops to um, punches and all of that. Um... But the funny part, and it's the funniest part of the whole night. I mean, hilarious. Catch ends up catching Ford 
and turns her around and actually does a pile driver to her. And it was a good pile driver. She goes over to the corner and asks to get a door and a chair. She sets them up in one corner and she tries to put Ford through it. She can't. And the announcers and everybody is noticing this is a solid wood door. It has not been gimmicked. And, I mean, it's a good two inches, you know, thick. Well, they're bound and determined. So, she grabs Ford again and does a different maneuver to put her through the door. They both just bounce off of it. I think Ford looked at her and was like... You're not trying again. Let's just both kick it. So both of them at the same time go up and kick this door as hard as they possibly can. And this door is not breaking. Eventually a guy reaches in and gets the door out. And it was absolutely hilarious. Now, I kind of got a little distracted by them getting the door out. Because I wanted to see what they would do. And there were two or three actually sitting there trying to figure this door out. And they were pushing to see if it had any give in it. They kicked it. This door was not breaking. But anyway, Ford ended up, they had to, you know, the door spot, Ford was going to put catch through and win. They ended up having to call it on the fly that Ford hit a DDT that looked amazing. She needs to do more of that to catch. And then she did a fisherman suplex with a bridge. And it also looked pretty awesome. And I thought, girl, if you do that, um, in AEW, they'll move you up the rankings. So then we get the main event. And I am excited. I told you guys in part one how impressed I was with 23-year-old Drew Parker from Wells. Now, that's in Britain. He is the owner of the ultra-violent heavyweight championship in New Japan. And at 23 years old, that's a big deal. Only four. He's one of four. Have um, 
Americans have, well, actually, I believe they said foreigners. And they named a guy from, um, I think it was Germany or Austria or somewhere that had also had it. But since he's not American, it was four foreigners. Had had it in its 80-year history or 70-year history. Abdullah the Butcher was one of them. The kid flew on a red-eye bike and took part in Homecoming Night 1 where he won the GCW deathmatch uh, belt off of Alex Cologne and looked unbelievable doing it. And that night, uh, Jimmy Lloyd challenged him. So, we're getting Drew Parker versus Jimmy Lloyd. Now, I knew there's no way he has won these two belts in the last 48, 72 hours that they're giving any of them to Jimmy Lloyd. He's cool for GCW, and he is a different kind of boy, but he is nowhere near the level of Drew Parker. So, um, Jimmy comes out to his A Different Kind of Boy song that fits him to a T. He has three syringes with him. One of which is in his mouth. The other two are in his hands. If I was Drew Parker, I would say, yeah, I don't want that one that's in your mouth. You need to go kind of throw that away. But anyway, they proceed, I guess, to show everybody how crazy they are. At this time, they um, haven't grabbed each other or anything like that. And with the cameras that GCW uses, they're panning kind of around the ring. And at one point, you see the marks that were made the night before when he took on Alex Cologne. Drew Parker's back is shredded it will not take much to open it back up and you also see mixed in scars this kid has been wrestling death matches for I think two or three years and he's got scars on his back on his arms craziness but like I said they wanted to show the fans and each other how crazy they were. So both of them asked for light tubes. And I think they were given four each in the beginning and then four more. But they proceeded to take a light tube and bust it over their own head. So Drew Parker picked one up and hit himself in the head. He did not bust the light tube 
on Jimmy Lloyd's head. Then they took the second four tubes, stacked them up, and both did one, two, three, and fell backwards on the light tubes on their backs with the light tubes busting. And, of course, Drew Parker is opened up. Jimmy Lloyd had a couple minor cuts, but nothing like Drew Parker did to himself. Um, they, they did a lot of crazy things with glass, with tables, and Jimmy Lloyd has already been proven crazy in my mind, but I think Drew Parker wanted to go to his level, if not above. Towards the ending... They did a second rope tiger driver through a pane of glass. Someone brought a ladder in. Now when I say someone, it wasn't Jimmy Lloyd and it wasn't Drew Parker. There were also two guys that came into the ring that were dressed as crew and when anyone went to get on the ladder they braced the ladder i think they said it was a 25 foot ladder but don't hold me to that drew parker ended up putting jimmy lloyd um he set up two chairs, a pane of glass, put Jimmy Lloyd on it, and then climbed up the ladder, and I'm talking to the top, did a swanton bomb with the light tube package on top of Jimmy Lloyd who was laying on a pane of glass. And I thought, good God, how did they think this up? As Lloyd was laying there, he climbed up maybe four steps of the ladder, five, Swantoned him again, and of course pinned him, and Drew Parker won. So then they introduce Mark Sterling, who again has to rile up the crowd, and the crowd's ready to be riled up about how Matt Cardona is so sorry he couldn't be here tonight, but he had already made the promise to go to California, go to Disneyland, go to... Uh, Universal, all of that. He even talks about how he is almost positive that Matt and Chelsea will talk about this on their podcast together that's called Major Land Pod. It is about this time that we hear music 
And Mark Sterling says, who is that? Turn this off. Who's interrupting me? And everyone in the crowd, and I think probably everyone watching at home, um, knew it was Nick Gage's music. And he kind of has to fight through the crowd just a little bit. He gets to the ring and has a pizza cutter. And Mark Sterling informs him that he wasn't even supposed to use that last night. And that he better not use it tonight. That they're going to sue. Matter of fact, they think they're going to sue all the people that were in the audience. And every wrestler there for not helping Matt Cardona. And trying to get him hurt. And Nick Gage goes to get ready to talk. And you see 44OH arrive. So you see Ricky Shane Page, Kogor, RSP. Who was the other guy? Because there's four in 44OH. Of course, the crowd starts talking about how Ohio sucks. They go to start beating on Nick Gage, and the MDK, Murder, Death, Kill, gang shows up, which is Alex Cologne, Mance Warner, Matthew Justice, AJ Gray, and then Effie? And I say that with a question mark, because he came out, and he was standing with the Murder, Death, Kill gang, but I was like, Are you a member of that? Now, none of the rest of them looked at him like he was crazy, so maybe he is. He just doesn't fit in with his style of wrestling with Alex Cologne, Mance Warner, Matthew Justice, and AJ Gray, who is a monster. They're standing on either side, and it's when Nick Gage grabs the microphone and said, During the Second City Summit, that on, I believe he said Saturday night, at the Art of War, it is going to be MDK, Versus 440H. And people went wild. Now, Mark Sterling has completely left. He's gone. But both of those teams are getting their fans to chant. Uh, they're going wild. I cannot imagine this being anything but a death match and it being unreal. Maybe I'll be wrong though. I don't know. Overall, I thought GCW Homecoming was awesome. If you can't tell that by me saying I want to go next year. And like I said, 
the reason why is number one they have awesome matches that they set up with their returning veterans but I think the kicker also is the fact that they those fans absolutely love wrestling they support who they support basically to the death they love being able to talk to them to touch them and they feel like they are part of their family or their gang or whatever I thought the fans were unbelievable night one Night two, watching them hug and support Chris Dickinson because he lost his grandmother. I mean, cold chills. And I usually don't get those. Um, they, it was just unbelievable. You know, the support that different people got. They weren't on Drew Parker's side on Saturday. But he turned them into Drew Parker fans. And by the end, before he beat Alex Cologne, they were on his side. And then, you know, part two, Sunday, they were definitely, and there's a lot of Jimmy Floyd fans, but at points, they were rooting for Drew Parker who they probably had never heard of two days before. But that's what kind of environment I want to be in. I want to be with real, true fans that they may not like the wrestlers I like, I may not like the wrestlers they like, but they respect that you love whoever your favorite is. And I don't mean this love as far as stalkers or anything like that. I mean they're a true fan. And that's impressive to me. So, if you guys have any questions, comments, problems, or protests about GCW Homecoming Part to you guys should know by now how to get a hold of me as far as I am pro wrestling overtime on Facebook and on Instagram. Both messages are open. I am pro overtime two O's pro overtime on Twitter. DMs are open or you can just write me an email. It's pro wrestling OT at gmail.com pro wrestling ot which stands for overtime at gmail.com look forward to hearing from you guys and i will be talking to you soon and hopefully somewhere we meet and see each other down the road
Holidays are here, and so is fashionable fitness. Gift yourself a Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3 5G, a phone that folds in half to literally stand on its own. Pair it with the Galaxy Watch 4 for ultimate wellness and wow factor. Check health stats, flex personal records. Over 90 activities can be tracked, like biking, swimming, golfing, and more. Invest in yourself with tech made to crush goals. Holidays open up with Galaxy. Shop it all at Samsung.com. 5G connection and availability may vary. Check with Carrier. Products sold separately. Shop on eBay this holiday season to get more for your dough on stand mixers mm. or get more for your buck on this season's hottest tech and gaming gear. And on eBay, you can even get more <gasps> bling for less cha-ching on jewelry. You can get more because you save more on premium brands with eBay's exclusive deals. Get more when you get it on eBay.